0: Hello, and thank you for tuning in to this April 18th edition of The Rewind, your Sunday news magazine. I'm Robert Kaplan. On today's episode, a new project that integrates social justice and equity with engineering is underway at the School of Engineering. Also, we take a behind-the-scenes look of the Tufts University art galleries and its exhibitions over the last semester. But first, a conversation with features writer Ari Navetta about his story on Advocates for Quality Aging, a student-led initiative with a focus on geriatric healthcare. All right. Hello. Uh, All right. Thanks for joining us here today. Hi. Thank you for having me. Of course. Uh, Let's get to it. So tell me, who are Advocates for Quality Aging?
1: Advocates for Quality Aging, or AQA, is a club on campus started in fall 2020 by Paul Lee, who's a senior now. They originally started as a club to help pre-health students get volunteer opportunities uh, in the area because it can be really difficult for them. Then with the onset of the pandemic, like everything, they had to do some rethinking about how they were gonna go about their activities. And they eventually decided they were gonna switch the focus from just finding volunteer opportunities and doing spotlights of various workers in the geriatric care industry to volunteering directly with the geriatric community to both provide opportunities for Free health students and ease some of the burden faced by the geriatric community during the pandemic, as they were hit probably hardest of anyone.
0: Great. So tell me um, a little bit more about what it is that they're doing um, with Medford and Area Seniors. Yeah, so they recently launched a partnership with
1: the Medford Council on Aging. They are running a book club once a week with seniors. A lot of their work has been helping the geriatric community get set up with programs like Zoom and and Messenger and all those other things that we now use all the time that they were probably a little less familiar with, but can help them stay in touch just as well as the rest of us.
0: Are there any other groups engaged in similar work?
1: Yeah, I also spoke with Ariel Galinsky, who works with the Tufts Public Health Society, and they have launched a partnership with the Medford Senior Center. Um, And they provide some similar services. She's been running a volunteer call program where Tufts students call senior center residents on a weekly basis.
0: Sure. How how many people uh, would you estimate are involved?
1: Yeah. um, AQA currently has about 30 active members, um, people placed in volunteer positions. Um, Lee says they have a mailing list of about 90. And... He's been looking at ways to see how to reach out to that other 60, how to, how to get them placed in volunteer positions too, because they're just looking to help, looking for volunteer opportunities, but it can be really difficult during the pandemic to kind of grow that community
0: virtually. Sure. What are some of the, um, talk about more about the work that they're already doing. What are some of the challenges that the volunteers face?
1: Ariel mentioned that senior center residents have been a little hesitant to give out their phone numbers to get called by random college students, which makes a lot of sense. So it can be tricky to navigate that. AQA mentioned they've been having some difficulty trying to get in touch with everyone on their mailing list who's expressed interest in trying to help out, but they haven't been able
0: to place them in a volunteer position. Sure. Has this work during the pandemic revealed any structural problems in ger- geriatric care in the area?
1: Definitely has. I mean, we saw in the first few months of the pandemic, it, it just swept through nursing homes all across the country, which makes you think they maybe didn't have the best infrastructure set up to deal with anything like this. By late June of 2020, nursing homes represented 43% of COVID deaths at the time, and that number actually hasn't changed all that much. Lee also mentioned he, he's seen a big issue in training of geriatric care workers, not having the best training, having pretty low requirements to be able to get certified to be a geriatric care worker, and he thinks a lot of them just were not equipped to deal with this, to follow all the guidelines, to yeah know how to keep up their work.
0: right. Uh, what do the volunteers look to do moving forward?
1: AQA has a lot of plans going forward. Um, Lee says, aside from volunteering, they're looking to focus on bringing back the the blog. So AQA started as a healthcare blog, interviewing um, geriatric care workers and anyone in the industry. They're also looking to focus on scientific engagement. So bringing in speakers from various organizations to get people excited, students especially excited about working in the geriatric community. AQA is also launching three new volunteering initiatives going forward uh, with the local hospice, including a a pen pal program, a phone call program, and also a fundraising campaign led by Tufts students um, where they can raise money for personal protective equipment for uh, geriatric care facilities.
0: Excellent. Is there anything else that you think we should know?
1: If you're looking to get involved either with AQA or the Tufts Public Health Society, you should reach out to Paul Lee for AQA or Ariel Galinsky for the Tufts Public Health Society.
0: Amazing. Well, thanks so much for being here. It's been lovely chatting with you, Ari. Thanks for having me. Over the last year, exhibitions at the Tufts University Art Galleries have focused on identity, social justice, and change. Rewind reporter Amelia Becker spoke with Dina Deitch, Director and Chief Curator at Tufts University Art Galleries, about the gallery's work over the last year and what to expect with upcoming exhibitions. Amelia Becker has the story.
2: The Tufts University Art Galleries put on a number of exhibits each year across the Medford-Somerville campus and the SMFA Fenway campus. The galleries operate on a rotating exhibition program, with normally two to three contemporary exhibitions each semester across the two campuses. This year, the galleries pivoted to virtual exhibitions and programming for the general public, while keeping the gallery in the Adickman Arts Center open for the Tufts community. In the fall, the Medford campus hosted a solo show by moving image photographer and sculpture artist Jabed Cahill Huffman, which ran through March. Here's Dina Deitch, director and chief curator for the galleries, on the exhibit.
3: The exhibition was about uh, living on screen, and it is what is the the relationship between screen and identity formation? How do we see race represented on screen? How does the artist navigate his own self and formation through? Montage collage and assemblage and sort of, you know, a media saturated world that we live in. So it was it was pretty apropos, um, I would say, for that.
2: This fall, the SMFA hosted a video exhibition called Public Intimacies, which was offered entirely online. In addition to exhibitions, the galleries host a number of events with everything from artist residencies to artist talks and panels. Deich said the online format has helped enable more people to attend the events.
3: Uh, our job, we find, is to bring in the scholarship around the arts into campus, and so thinking about the leading speakers in the world to bring them here um, on Zoom. It's been pretty handy, I will say, um, and also to connect uh, where the scholarship in the arts, where the ed- the edge of, leading edge of art practice happens, and how that could connect to what's happening here on campus, either through uh, faculty and student work or general um, or sites in Boston and Medford, Somerville.
2: The galleries have been able to support local artists in the community through a new program. This year,
3: the galleries also started a new program through the support of the Andy Warhol Foundation for the Visual Arts, where we are actually a uh, regional re So we actually now have the capacity, we give out now $80,000 to local artists. Um, it's not, they're not grants that are open to active students or employees of Tufts, but it lets us support our alumni and basically lets us support the our community here in the greater Boston area to an amazing degree. So we're able to get out uh, COVID relief grants this fall. So we gave out 40,000, 40, 60,000, 60,000 uh, this fall. And then this spring, we just opened up our applications for a three-tier program for new practices, experimental practices, um, sustaining our practices as well that um, artists are allowed to apply with
2: the pandemic has allowed gallery staff to think about what they do in the context of the community, culture, and society.
3: And this year has been a important pause uh, to think about why and how we do at all levels. And so it's been a, a very reflective, uh, structural year to think about how, how do we operate.
2: They've been thinking about representation in the art on campus and how to make the process for putting art on campus more transparent.
3: We started a public art committee about a year and a half ago. Um, And then that led to sort of a lot of ongoing conversations about representation on campus. And then this summer, the public art committee shifted to the anti-racist work stream work to really analyze what representation really looks like on campus. And so we've been able to conduct audits of all the work on BU, mostly in the Medford-Somerville campus and some of the other campuses as well. We'll finish that up this summer. Um, We've also analyzed our permanent art collection for the demographic of artists and representation. And so we have a pretty clear picture of how far we have to go to actually reflect the diver- diversity of our community. And so right now we're actually spending a lot of our time thinking about it's easy to take down portraits and move things around, but the question is what happens next? Um, so we're in a lot of conversations with the university and with artists and with, uh, we have a new building coming up, thinking about artists to commission. Um, who, who, what, how can we think about our visual landscape in a more equitable sensibility and more inclusive and welcoming.
2: Moving forward, the galleries are working with the Data Intensive Study Center to visualize the data that they have been collecting. They are working to catalog the demographics of who has created the art on display, as well as who has donated it. This process is going to influence the gallery's policies in the future. Um, and it's informing
3: how we're thinking about our collection moving forward. So we're also rewriting our policies as well. So all collections and you know, uh, art organizations have sort of formal collection policies that sort of dictate how we manage the collection, sort of logistically, but also conceptually. How do we think about the collection? Like, do we? how do we sort of bring in artwork? Now, how do we prioritize gifts or how do we prioritize acquisitions? Um, and so we're, we've been rewriting those policies that um, our policies are always on our website, but we'll be updating them this spring, probably May, maybe June.
2: The gallery in the Adickman Arts Center currently has the work of the 2020 MFA Thesis students on display, which was presented in a fully digital format last spring.
3: And I highly recommend visiting because it's gorgeous. The students did a beautiful job. Um, It's not a big group, so people have a lot of space, and I have to say it's just very exciting to see their work in person. Um, We're all really giddy, so that's great.
2: The 2021 MFA Thesis projects will be on display in Adickman starting in May. In hybrid model. Anyone with an active Tufts ID who is enrolled in the COVID testing program can visit the galleries in person Monday through Friday. Looking ahead, in the fall, the galleries will host an exhibition called Staying With the Trouble across both the Medford and SMFA campuses.
3: It's a intersectional feminist exhibition looking at different ways of coping mechanisms, if one could say, um, through sort of speculative fiction and ecofeminism, And so it looks at a group of uh, female-identifying artists from the 70s to now, and looking at their different practices in terms of that kind of world-making views.
2: The galleries are hoping to have a show at the SMFA Fenway campus to highlight new studio faculty hires. On the Medford campus, there'll be an exhibition looking at the deep history of Tufts landscape in terms of indigenous history, the graduate student has been working on. There will also be a project with the Art History Department on Armenian art. Deitch is looking forward to the upcoming exhibitions and welcoming the Tufts community back to the galleries. For The Rewind, I'm Amelia Becker.
0: This episode of The Rewind is brought to you by Tufts University College. Where undergraduates and graduates alike can experience tufts this summer. Registration is now open. Learn more about the variety of courses available at go.tufts.edu backslash daily. In the news this week, the Office of Veterans Services in the cities of Somerville and Revere and the Veterans Affairs Boston Healthcare System are organizing a COVID-19 vaccination clinic for veterans, which opened April 3rd at the Beachmont VFW in Revere. Those who received the two-dose Moderna vaccine are scheduled to receive their second dose on May 1st. April 19th is Patriot's Day, and all adults ages 16 and up will become eligible for a vaccine. You can sign up to receive a vaccine at either a mass vaccination site or a local health provider through the mass.gov website. You can pre-register for a mass vaccination site at vaccinesignup.mass.gov or schedule an appointment with a local pharmacy at vaxfinder.mass.gov. That's V-A-X Vaccinations using the Johnson & Johnson vaccine have been put on hold nationwide after the CDC and FDA reported six cases in the U.S. of a rare and severe type of blood clot in individuals who received the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. As of April 12th, the U.S. had administered 6.8 million doses. In a joint statement, the CDC and FDA emphasized that these events appear to be extremely rare That they are reviewing the data to ensure the safety of the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. Tufts will end its COVID-19 testing program on campus and will require students to move out of on-campus housing prior to Senior Week, a week-long series of events for graduating seniors. A poll put out by the TCU Senate found that 95% of seniors plan to remain in the Medford-Somerville area for Senior Week, though all planned Senior Week events, including Commencement, are completely virtual. The decision raises concerns about equity, as many seniors living on campus are on financial aid and students of color, according to TCU Vice President Grant Gebbetsberger. Dean of Student Affairs and Chief Student Officer Camille Liserivar said the university is, quote, certain we have made the correct, safest, most equitable, and most responsible decision given what we know and what we don't know at this time, end quote. Massachusetts regulators have set their sights on Robin Hood a stock trading and investment app known for its use in the escalation of GameStop stocks earlier this year. Just as Robinhood is seeking to go public, the Massachusetts Securities Division is seeking to revoke the company's broker-dealer license in the Commonwealth, which would prevent Massachusetts residents from accessing Robinhood. And leading the charge, Secretary of State Bill Gavin has accused Robinhood of attracting inexperienced investors and is failing to protect its customers. Robinhood claims the Commonwealth is seeking to, quote, reinstate the financial barriers that Robin Hood was founded to break, end quote. This semester, the School of Engineering has revamped its introductory computing course to include discussions on social issues. The change is part of a larger project from the Tufts Center for Engineering Education and Outreach. Rewind reporter Ty Blitstein sat down with Features Editor Jill Collins, who wrote the
4: piece. I'm joined now by Tufts Daily Features editor, Jill Collins. Jill, thanks so much for being here. Hi. (laughs) Your recent article in the Daily is titled Fighting the Social-Technical Divide in Undergraduate Engineering. So I wanna start off by asking, what is the social-technical divide and why did it need to be addressed?
5: I think before I answer the question, I should also say, Um, I'm an engineering student at Tufts. So I think writing for the Tufts daily and being an engineering student is sometimes feels like the metaphor of the social technical divide. So this also like comes, I feel like at a very personal level. But for me, the social technical divide in engineering is two things. It's one, it's like the stigma that engineers don't need to be educated on social issues um, the way that liberal arts students should, which is false. And then I also think this comes out in the divide in the class schedule in engineering. Um, We have a lot of required courses that are like very technical. Um, And in those classes, we really do not talk about social issues at all. And then there are a few classes that we're required to take that are called Haas credits. Um, And that's like humanities, arts, science, and social sciences, I believe. You take many more like technical classes than you do Haas credits. And I think, well, one that separates our like technical education with our social education. And I think that's so painful because there could be intertwined. And it also just like supports the stigma that engineers don't have to learn about social issues. But I think it needs to be addressed because no matter what school you're in, love of arts or engineering, we're all going to go to the same world in the end. And I think I don't see any reason why an engineer shouldn't know about social issues, especially because I think they're so in the work we're gonna be doing. Um, As engineers, you're gonna be designing for populations. And if you don't know the populations you're designing for, your design will fail.
4: (laughs) Yeah, you mentioned just now and in your article also a sort of stigma around justice-based learning uh, education and engineering. Why do you think this is as a student uh, of engineering yourself?
5: Well, I think because it just doesn't come up in our curriculum. You're never gonna be tested on it and so i think a lot of students think because we're not tested on it or we just don't talk about it in class that it's not important i honestly i'm confused myself why the divide exists because i feel like it is so obvious to me that all people need to know about the communities they belong in but i think also because it's not a diverse field at all it's very white and male dominated so they have the privilege to not care a lot of the times. And it's a community that wasn't made for a lot of marginalized groups.
4: So how exactly is Tufts University going about fighting this social technical divide?
5: Yeah. So there's this new... Um, Justice-Based Engineering and Data Science Initiative, starting in the ES2 classrooms. ES2 is Intro to Computing for Engineers. And for many engineers, it's like a mandatory requirement. And you traditionally learn about Python and MATLAB, which are two coding languages. So it's traditionally a very like technical class. But starting this semester, supported by the Center for Education, Engineering Education and Outreach, they're creating more conversations based on social justice issues in the ES2 class. Yeah, so it's basically, they're doing a little like renovation, not a little, a big renovation <laughs> of the ES2 class.
4: Yeah, so that renovation uh, you write about in your article, um, how the course Introduction to Computing for Engineers is currently, quote, undergoing a renovation. So how mm-hmm. so? Could you speak a little bit to that?
5: Well, one, they're having... Equity learning assistants—they're basically well. What a learning assistant is—it's just like a undergraduate student and opposed to like a graduate student in your class helping you understand the material. And they're not someone who's going to grade you or anything. And in this case of this class, an equity learning assistant is an undergraduate engineering student who previously took the S2 class. And I would assume that they have interest in talking about these social justice issues because they signed up for it. Um, it's a paid position and what they do is they have a seminar every week outside of the es2 classroom with the other equity learning assistants i believe there are six of them Um, and they talk about social justice issues in the connection with engineering and then outside the seminar they come in like once a week into the es2 classrooms and they facilitate conversations based on articles that talk about social justice and engineering so then if you're a student in the class, you weekly have articles that you have to read, which some of them are similar than what the equity learning assistants read. And then you are included in these conversations. In addition, a lot of the coding homework this semester, all the data comes from more diverse like array of resources and like a lot more like social implications than in the past. So it's a lot of like the coding you're doing is like on real life events.
4: Yeah. That's great to hear. And as you mentioned, uh, an important component of this initiative, which is called piloting a learning assistant model for a justice-based engineering and data science initiative in ES2, um, are these small group and class conversations on issues of justice. So what sort of topics are discussed and why are these types of conversations important?
5: There are a lot of issues that have been talked about and there's like a new one each week The one for this week is on environmental justice. So talking about a lot of it is like environmental racism, meaning that's like a disproportional amount of like an environmental hazard in predominantly like community of color. So in the example like this week that we read, we talked about how in areas of Chelsea, there are high levels of pollution and Chelsea is predominantly um, of color and they're not willing to put in um, air quality monitors in the city. And we kind of talked about how that is an environmental justice issue because you're not taking data, even though it's not taking data on a population is basically saying you don't care about a population. And we're talking about the wrongness around that. I should also say I'm in the ES2 class as well. So when I say we, this is my experience in the class. Um, And then this week, There was a project on the MMBTA, which is like the Massachusetts um, transportation system. And we're looking at data from there and seeing who's most likely to take the different types of transportation what's the average income like do they have other sources of transportation and then for the coding project for like the mbta it was looking at the disparities between different like transportation routes so basically what they did is they had they had three different types of people going from tufts to mit one was a person who had to take multiple buses, multiple train stops. Um, one was someone who just took one train stop and like another was someone who drove. And for each of those three scenarios, you had to calculate the amount of time it would take you to get there. And then also variability of what if there's a traffic light? What if there's like constructions and like some of the variability in that time? Um, at the end of the project, you found out that the janitor, the one who had to take multiple transportations, had the longest time to get there. The student who took the middle amount had the shortest, and the professor who drove had the actual shortest. Sorry, the student had the middle amount. And then also the same showed about like the variability of the time you would get there. So like the professor took a lot shorter time to get there than the janitor, but on top of that, there also had a very different variable of time and that the like janitor had more things that could like stop them from getting there on time opposed to the professor. Um, and then we talked about like regulations. So if you're someone who's working at MIT and like you notice that like it's harder for the janitor to get there on time than the professor, then like how do you make regulations that support that?
4: That uh, MBTA project is a great example of a sort of assignment module that you wrote about that's an important element of the initiative. Are there Mm -hmm. any other types of specific assignments that you and your fellow students are undertaking to connect the conversations to computing?
5: Yeah, Um, that was our first one that we have done looking at computing.
4: Or, if, or it's still yeah. you know, early in the initiative, but based on your reporting, do you know if there are any other plans for any other ways this might be implemented in the classroom?
5: Yeah, all I know for now is like, just like the reading articles, but there's one cool conversation that we had um, about talking about um, physical disabilities in design and design and so like design for people with um, a, a range of abilities. And it's kind of talking about how one step is, yes, you should design, of course, for like people of all abilities, but also a lot of times we think that's where the social justice ends, but we talked about how it's it's important that actually like, for example, like me as an able-bodied person should not be the head of a project that is working to create more options for people with physical disabilities, and the individual with a physical disability should be the head of that project. And then talking about getting people from a diverse range of backgrounds at the head of projects that like matter to their groups of people, because at the end of the day, you know what's best for yourself and like your identity. And I was talking about a lot of times in engineering, you'll say, yes, we'll design for these groups of people, but then they're not on the boards. They're not on the projects. And I think a lot, a large part of this class for me has just also been like thinking about the companies are going to be working for and like what just saying like a slogan or just coming out with a statement isn't enough and it's like more it's it's bigger than that it's being inclusive in like every detail of a project
4: so this was something you mentioned in your article as well about the post graduation implications so how do students take what they've learned about social technical engineering from the classroom to their careers and you just touched on this a little bit but if there's anything else you want to expand on
5: Well, I think one is just like, I think if you go through four years of college and you had never talked about race, and if you can't talk about race, then like your college experience has failed you. And more than that, like you've failed yourself. Um, And I think not just with race, but with many um, issues, like college is a place if you haven't talked about before, this is the first, like if this is your first time, then it should be a space where you do it. And I think we're all feeding into the same world at the end of the day, and we all are people of the same society. So we should learn how to talk about like these social implications and like privilege. And then I guess like, I think it's also like when you are looking to work for a company and if you have like options, like I hope that after taking a class like this, you would be like, I want to work for the company that actually does do these equity things like i this is something i care about and i don't want to work for a company that's gonna be exclusive or inequitable and then i also think that's like bringing this what you learn to your team and it's being like hey like is my team diverse also like but like calling people out when they are not being equitable
4: that's that's definitely a real issue and a, a good vision for the way forward So for this story, you talked to a number of postdoctoral researchers and undergraduate equity learning assistants involved with the initiative. Were there any common threads in what they told you?
5: I think what I was like unexpected to hear from them is that the reason why they're doing this is because they were engineers once um, or engineering students once and that they were really frustrated in their education that they didn't get any like organized, like social education. And one of them shared with me that she left engineering because she thought she could only do like water testing samples. Like she was taught and she only knew the technical side. And then when she did that for one or two years, she was like, I'm done with engineering. Like, I don't want to do this. And then she went into education and is now doing this, which is very cool. But she was like, She learned that like, there's so much work for engineers to be done with social justice work, such as like urban and environmental planning, which is like, she was kind of talking about how she hopes this like allows students to know a larger like array of experiences they can have post-grad and not just that technical engineering side that, you know, we may have, might've like grown up with.
4: So what has the reaction to the initiative been like so far from your classmates, from your interviewees and you personally, how would you rate it?
5: Um, I guess for myself, I feel like this class has been really refreshing. This is my first class I've taken where we actually talk about social justice issues, um, which I'm like, wow, I'm two years into my major. It's a little upsetting that we're, this is where we're at, but I don't know. I also think like as like a woman of color in engineering, doing this major has been super difficult because I feel like by choosing engineering, I neglected parts of my education that I care about and I'm forced to like learn about it on my own time, which I think is definitely one way to do it. But it's also, I guess, like heartwarming to me that it could be part of my future education as an engineer. Um, and that other people care. I also feel like finally, like my voice has a part in engineering. I think sometimes I feel like suppressed in like breakout rooms and stuff. And and I I don't know, I just think I feel more welcomed into the engineering classroom personally.
4: That's great to hear Um, and leads into my last two questions. Um, Going forward, this initiative was a pilot at the moment. So what are the goals for this initiative going forward? What does the status look like at the moment?
5: So they initially got funding by the tough springboard. So I think it depends on funding, but this is now running in a few ES2 classrooms. And a lot of the conversations we have are recorded or like written down on a document or like our Zooms are recorded. So I think this summer, they're actually the equity learning assistants with the postdoctoral researchers are going over the data and talking about like how the semester went, ways they can improve, things that they did well. Um, with hopes of doing it again in the fall. Um, and I, that, that was a common question I asked the researchers as well. And something they said was um, they were hoping that this can turn into like a, a ho- hopefully that this is just the start, that it can be part of some like four years, of what four years at engineering at Tufts looks like one day. And they hope it can be great in all engineering experiences. Um, and I think a common thread for me and with the researchers is, and if like you are in engineering, you want to do social justice, like you have to carve it out for yourself. And they're hoping it's something that you people don't have to carve out for themselves. Engineering is a really powerful tool. And I think it's like a very cool major, which is why I'm majoring in it. And I think it has a lot of potential to make a better society. But it comes at the cost of you take a lot of technical classes. But if these technical classes are paired with like talking about identity and equability and just allocation of resources and learning how to use engineering for good like that can change the world and i think that's very cool
4: well that's that's a great point to end on so i just want to say Joe collins thank you so much for joining the rewind
5: thank you have a good one thanks
4: <laughs> you too
0: And that's it for this April 18th edition of The Rewind. I've been your host, Robert Kaplan. Tune in next week for our last episode of the semester.
2: Rewind is brought to you by the Tufts Daily. Today's episode was produced in part by McKenna Law, with reporting by Ty Whitstein and me, Amelia Becker. Ryan Schaefer is producer of The Rewind. Kate Seckler selects our music. Our host is Robert Kaplan, and Hannah Harris is the executive audio producer. Thank you for listening.